Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Let me pray for us and we're going to begin. Father, we thank you again for the chance to come together and sing and praise your name and pray and study. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord, the truth. It's been passed down from generation to generation, Lord. It still stands true. It still stands firm. It's still a rock to which we can hold on to, Father, in a world that changes rapidly. Every day, Lord, things are changing. But your word is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, Lord. Help us to hold to that to cling to that truth, Lord. As we study it this morning, I pray you would give us understanding and clarity, Lord, the ability to hear from you. And Father, I pray you would just do great things in our midst. Lord, we praise your name for all things. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open to Ephesians chapter 4. You can keep the screen up for a second. We're not going to get there quite yet, Wanda. But Ephesians chapter 4. We have a lot to talk about this morning, so I want to jump right into it and make sure we have time to finish so you can all go to Sunday school at 11 o'clock. But as you're flipping to Ephesians chapter 4, I want to kind of remind you of a few things upcoming that I want you to specifically be in prayer for. The first thing I want you to be in prayer for and and be aware of is that next Sunday morning we're going to start 30 days of prayer. We're going to kind of begin the year with 30 days of prayer. And we've got a very specific reason we're going to do that. It's not a general time of prayer. We just ask you to pray. We've got some very specific things we're going to ask you to pray about. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in my message here in a little while. And I'll talk a lot about it next Sunday morning. But I want you to be aware of that, kind of looking forward to that, thinking ahead about that. Also, next Sunday morning, I'm going to begin my study of the book of Genesis. I've talked a little bit about that up to this point. I'm going to ask you, if you would please, to pray for me. That's a big book. And there's a lot of stories. And all the stories are foundational. And there's so many important parts of Genesis. I would just covet your prayers as I prepare to begin that sermon series next Sunday morning. And then we've got some mission opportunities coming up. We've got a team that's going to be leaving on Friday for South Asia. That team will be here at the end of the service. We're going to commission them. We've got another team leaving in February that I'll be on going back to South Asia. We've got a team over spring break going to Guatemala. Over 60 people going to Guatemala. I think 64 or 65 now. You be in prayer for those. You be in prayer for those that are going and those that are still praying about going. There's a lot of opportunities in this coming year that a lot of people are praying about and thinking about. So you be in prayer for those things. Okay, Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to talk about a vision for 2015. We're going to examine the truth of Scripture. And we're going to talk about a vision for this year, 2015. And we're going to do it by looking at verses 11 through 16. So Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. It was he, and before I do this, let me just give you a little heads up. I want to remind you of something here. I'm going to point this out as we go. So if you're taking notes or you're kind of following along in your scripture, I want you to take note of all the instances in verses 11 through 16 where Paul talks about the idea of growth. If we wanted to kind of summarize this text, we, we, we could say that Ephesians speaks a lot about the idea of unity, but these few verses in particular talk about the idea of growth. The idea of being built up and becoming mature in Christ. So as we read through this, I want you to kind of listen for these words, and I'll point them out as we go, beginning in verse 11. So Christ himself, or it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some pastors and teachers, verse 12, to equip his people 
for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. There's the first idea, right? The idea of being built up, of growing in Christ. Now verse 13. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. There's our second idea of growth, right? If you're mature, you're no longer an infant. You're you're growing. You've grown up attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants. There's the idea again, right? We're growing up. We're no longer young. We're no longer babies. We're no longer infants. Tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Verse 15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow, right? We will grow. There we go. Speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up. There's that idea again, right? We're growing up. We're getting bigger in Him who is the head, that is Christ Jesus. Now verse 16. From Him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. There's this sense in verses 11 through 16 of growth. There's this sense of maturity. There's this sense of being built up in the body of Christ. So for the next few minutes... I want to think about this idea of growth. And I want to kind of cast a vision for us for this coming year, for 2015, that relates specifically to this idea of growth found in Ephesians 4. Now, I'm going to challenge you to do something this morning. I know a lot of you take notes and you kind of stay with us as we walk through this and you pay attention. I'm going to encourage you, when we get specifically to the goals section, with each one of these main points, I'm going to give you as an individual some goals And I'm going to give our church some goals for 2015. And I'm going to challenge you when I do that for every person or at least every person in a family to write these down because I want you to be serious about these. I promise you this isn't just some filler sermon I just came up with at the last minute because I needed to do something before I started Genesis. This sermon is about what the Lord's going to do in this church in 2015, but He's not going to do it if we're not serious about it. You understand? You know this and I know this. There are thousands of churches all over the world that aren't real serious about doing the work of the Lord. And that sounds harsh, but you know just like I do, it's true. There are millions of believers every Sunday morning that show up to church simply because it's Sunday morning and they go. It doesn't mean anything to them the rest of the week. If the Lord's going to do great things through us, if the Lord's going to do great things in 2015 in this church, it's going to be because you... The people of the church do it. So I want to encourage you to be very engaged, involved, and really pray through these things as we walk through them together. Okay, here's the first goal and kind of the first vision I want to cast for 2015. Number one, in 2015, we must grow in discipleship. In 2015, we must grow in discipleship. Now, we do a lot of things really well at Rosemont. And I'm going to be talking about some of those things as we walk through this sermon this morning. But I think, if I were going to be gut-level honest with you, the thing we're not doing as good a job as we need to is discipleship. Let me define for you discipleship just to make sure we're all on the same page. Discipleship, very simply, is when a mature believer, 
a mature follower of Jesus Christ comes along beside a younger believer or an immature believer and kind of coaches and trains and equips and teaches that younger believer what it means to be a follower of Christ. It's the idea of the mature believer discipling or training the immature believer. Now Paul does something very interesting in verses 11 and 12. Look back with me if you would. Paul gives us this really interesting list in verse 11. He says, so Christ gave, bring, bring that, there, there we go, Christ gave some to be, there's five things, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now there are people that will argue that there are specific distinctions within those and they mean different things and they have different roles and I would agree with that, there is distinction. They do have different roles and different places within the church. But I think if we wanted to kind of take a 30,000 foot view of this verse, we could simply say verse 11 is talking about the leaders of the church, right? If you're a Sunday school teacher, you're in verse 11. That's you. Okay? If you are engaged in evangelism, you're in verse 11. If you lead people and guide people spiritually on some level, you're in verse 11. If you're a leader of this church, I would argue you can find yourself somewhere in verse 11. So I'm talking to an awful lot of you right now. Now let me just do something. I don't want to try to give anybody's age away. I'm just curious. If you've been a follower of Jesus Christ more than 30 years, I'd like you to raise your hand. Wow. Stand up. I know I'm taking a step. I just want to see you physically. Stand up. Wow. Now, I don't want to put any undue pressure on you, <laughs> but this verse is speaking to you. You can be seated now. If you're a mature follower of Jesus Christ, you're a leader. You need to understand that. Because you're a leader in the church, now he's going to give us in verse 12 a very specific role, right? So some of you are pastors, prophets, apostles, evangelists, teachers. Again, I would say, I would argue we're talking about the leaders of the church. In verse 12, there's a very specific reason he's called you in verse 11. He's called you to do something in verse 12. Here's what verse 12 says. He's given all these people, verse 12, to equip his people for works of service. See that? Now, I'm going to use the word I used in the main heading here just to kind of keep us all on the same page. I'm going to change it. I think it's fair to change it. He's called all these people in verse 11 to disciple the people in verse 12. You see that? If you are a mature follower of Christ, if you're a leader within the church, your call is to equip, to train, to disciple all the rest of the people in the church. Now, I'm going to step on your toes just for a second. I want you to be prepared for it, okay? Your calling is not simply to show up at Rosemont. If you think that's what it means to be a Christian, you're mistaken. Now, we're glad you're doing it. We love you in the name of Christ, and we want to try to help you be discipled to move past that. But you ought to be doing something. Man, if you've been a Christian for 25 plus years, you ought to be setting the world on fire, discipling people, training people, equipping people, doing all things the Lord's called you to do for the kingdom. I'll never forget when I was in college. I, I, I laugh sometimes because when I was in high school and college, my youth group, Jason, he's not in here, he'll be in the next service. Lee, and you'll appreciate this. My youth group was me and my sister and three other guys. That was it. That was our youth group. We didn't, have this, we didn't have the opportunity to go to these incredible conferences and to hear these great speakers. But I had a pastor, praise the Lord, my latter part of high school and early part of college that discipled me. 
he just walked along beside me. We didn't have some special training session we went through. We just kind of hung out together. We spent time together. He would talk to me. He would encourage me. He taught me Sunday school. And I just to this day still appreciate all he did for me, all he poured into me. Why? Because he was equipping me. You understand that? He was training me. He was discipling me. Now, I'm not going to do this to anybody, I promise, but if I were to stop you in a couple weeks based on this idea of growth and discipleship, based on the challenge of Ephesians 4.11, your call as a leader to equip or to train or to disciple other people, if I were to stop you in a couple of months and I were to say to you, who are you discipling, you should be able to give me a name of a person. That's what it ought to look like. It shouldn't be that, oh, I'm involved here and I'm praying. And all those things are important. You should be praying. You should be involved. All those things are important. But you ought to be discipling somebody. You ought to be able to say to me, yeah, me and John went to lunch again last week. And I'm just, I'm just kind of hanging out with him. I'm getting to know him a little bit. But I'm just kind of pouring into him. You say, what does that look like? It may just look like encouragement. That may be what your lunches are. That's what discipleship might be for you. Just encourage him in his walk. Maybe you spend some time in prayer with them. Maybe you delve a little deeper and you go into some sort of a study. Maybe you read through a book together. There's all sorts of things that could be happening, but the, the point is you ought to be intentional about discipling one person, maybe two people, maybe three. If the Lord's given you the gift of salvation, which He has for so many of us in this church, and you've grown up all these years learning and studying, you've been a believer for 20, 30, 40 years, you ought to be training somebody else. Period. But I bet, and again, I'm not going to do it, but I bet if I went around the room and asked you to give me a name of a person you're discipling, very few could do it. It's not because you don't believe in it. It's not because you don't think it's important. You've just never made it a priority. There's just other things going on in life, and I get that, but I'm just challenging you and encouraging you in 2015, you ought to be discipling somebody. I'm telling you, we can come up with all kind of cool programs and marketing schemes and all this cool stuff, but if we're not growing in discipleship, it's all a sham. You understand that? It's a facade. We can do all kind of cool things to get large numbers of people and get all these people in here and do all these high attendance Sundays. And those things are fine. But if we're not undergirding all that with a foundation of discipleship, it's going to crumble, right? The news flashes, our call isn't to gather a lot of people together for no reason. Our call is to disciple people in their faith. Matthew 28 is real clear. Who are you discipling? One of the ways you can be involved in discipleship more, one of the ways you can grow in your faith is by attending some sort of a small group Sunday school class. I, I, I've encouraged you to do that. I'm going to continue to encourage you to do that. I have conversations with people a lot that are new to our church or visiting our church, and I'll say something like this. What Sunday school class you've been involved in? You say, ah, you know, I don't know. We, hadn't, we go here. There. You need to find a Sunday school class. You need to be involved with a small group studying the Word of God on a regular basis. That's a part of discipleship. Now, I'm going to give you four myths. That's the friendly word. The real word is the four excuses I hear more than anybody else, more from anybody else, the reasons they're not going to Sunday school. Here are the top four myths or the top four excuses about Sunday school. I want you to listen because some of you have told them to me. I'm not naming any names. I'm just saying. Myth number one I hear from people. Sunday school is only for children. That's what I hear. I hear that from people. Well, you're right. Sunday school is for children. Praise the Lord. We've got a really good one. We've got a phenomenal preschool and children's department. I'm telling you, it's second to none. My kids have grown up through it, and I could not be more pleased with Philip and with his leadership and with those teachers. They're phenomenal. I'm telling you, it's second to none. 
But if you're an adult, you ought to be studying the Word of God just like they are. Can we, can we, honestly, make a, can we, can we honestly make a biblical argument that it's not good for us to get together with other people and study the Word of God? Can we make that? No. The truth of the matter is we ought to be surrounding ourselves with people that love us so we can study the Word of God together. Here's the second myth I hear. Here's the second excuse. Sunday school is not that important. Now, what people don't usually say, they don't usually say it like that. What they say instead is, well, we wanted to come, but we had to do this instead. <laughs> we had to go out of town or go to this game or go to the lake or have vacation. Now, listen, hear me very clearly. There's nothing wrong with going out of town. There's nothing wrong with vacation. Relaxation is important. We need rest. But you don't need it two out of every four Sundays. Right? You need to commit to Sunday school, period. You need to be growing in your walk with Christ and you need to be doing it by being challenged with other people on a regular basis by opening the Word of God and studying it together. Here's another myth or excuse I hear from people. The people in Sunday school know so much more than me. I'm embarrassed to be in there. I hear that from people. Well, there, there's a, a, probably some truth in the fact that there's somebody in that class that knows more than you, but praise the Lord they do because they can teach you, right? Would you really want to be in a class you walked in and you were the person that knew the most about the Bible? Is that the class you want to be in? Nobody knows anything about the Bible in here and I'm supposed to learn? You want people to help train you, don't you? It's good you're in a class with people that know the Word of God. They can help you learn. That's exactly where you ought to be. And here's the fourth myth. Here's the fourth excuse I hear from people. They say something like this. The people in Sunday school just don't have the problems that I have. I hear that from people. Yeah, that's, that's what I do. I don't laugh quite that loud, but I do. I try to hold it in, right? Because I don't want to... They say, oh, you, you know, you just don't understand. i got troubles at work, and my marriage is struggling, and, you know, there's financial, or my, my kids are doing it. Well, welcome to the world, right? You're not alone there. I mean, they, they may not be sharing all their dirty laundry in front of everybody every Sunday morning, but I promise you, they're struggling just like you are. And here's the beautiful part about Sunday school. As you get to know those people a little better... And they begin to love on you a little bit better. You begin to recognize that they're struggling just like you are. You're telling me you've got some financial... Me too. Can we pray together about that? Can we study the Word together? Can can I kind of lift you up and and help you walk through this as a follower of Christ? Walk along side by side? That's what Sunday school is all about. Now, I want to challenge you just for a second. Man, it's, it's my opinion, and I don't know if I'm right or not, but it's my opinion based on experience over the years. That when the man is interested in Sunday school, his family is. When the man's not interested, his family's not. So if your family's not involved in Sunday school, man, you need to look in the mirror first. If your wife and family won't go with you, that's okay. You go and go by yourself. And while you're here, you pray for them. But I want to encourage you to be part of a small group. I want to encourage you to find a time where you can gather with a small group of believers and study the Word together. So I'm going to give you some goals for 2015. You can write these down. For individuals and for the church, number one. Here's goal number one. And I'm going to, the good thing for me when I preach a sermon is I write out all the things I'm going to say, so I've got it on paper. I'm not going to forget about it, right? I'm not going to forget in a few months that I said this. I'm going to talk about this again. Here's goal number one. You need to disciple one other person. That's the first goal. I don't care who it is. I think a man ought to disciple a man. A woman ought to disciple a woman. I think that's the, pretty much the only rule. But who that person is, when that happens, I don't care. You just ought to be doing it. 
You say, how do I even start? Pray about it. I don't know. Pray about it first. There are all kind of young believers in here that probably want to know more about Christ. You need to figure out how you can help train those people. Disciple someone. Here's the mindset. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it to you. But the mindset is this. If I stopped you in three months and asked you to name the person you're discipling, could you do it? Disciple somebody. Here's another goal for you. Become involved or more involved in Sunday school. Whatever you're doing, you can do more, can't you? You say, I'm already teaching, I'm already preparing a lesson. Praise God, are you praying for your people regularly? I remember when I used to teach Sunday school, that was always a burden for me. I never felt like I did a good enough job. I spent lots of time in in study and preparation and praying for what I was going to say. I spent less time praying for the people of that Sunday school class. Maybe you say, I'm not in a Sunday school class at all. You get involved. In fact, we're going to give you the opportunity this next hour. I've been talking about this for a few weeks. At 11 o'clock, we're doing a connections class. If you're not in a Sunday school, next hour, instead of going home or going to Waffle House or walking around for an hour drinking coffee, go to the fellowship hall. Nothing wrong with drinking coffee. (laughs) Go to the fellowship hall. Randy Presley is going to teach a class called Connection Class. It's going to explain you exactly what our adult Sunday school looks like, all the different options you have. He's even going to walk you around and you can meet some of the adult Sunday school classes, some of those teachers. I want to encourage you to become involved in Sunday school. Now as a church, here's some goals for us. Number one, this year we're going to create new Sunday school classes. We have seen every time we've ever done it over the years, when we create new classes, we reach new people. It's just this, it's this amazing, simple model. Nothing complicated about it. When we start new classes, new people are reached. But here's the challenge for you. You ready for this? We can't start new classes without leaders. I can't advertise a new class next Sunday morning in this room. It's going to meet at 11 o'clock. We want you there. And 25 people show up and there's no teacher. That doesn't go over very well, does it? It's not going to last very long. If we're going to reach new people, if we're going to start new classes, we need you to step up as a leader. You be in prayer for that. Now, let's continue on. So we need to grow in the idea of discipleship. That's very important. That's got to be foundational to what we do. Now, look again at verses 11 and 12. So Christ himself gave some of the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Right, Those are the leaders. Verse 12. To equip the people, right? That's the idea of discipleship. Why? For works of service. So the body of Christ may be built up. So here's the model. Here's the progression, right? If we get the leaders of the church, the mature people of the church, to begin discipling and equipping and training, guess what's going to start happening to all the people that are being discipled, that are being equipped, that are being trained? They're going to become involved in ministry and in service, right? So that's the second goal. Here's the second vision for 2015. Number two, in 2015, we must grow in service and in ministry. If we disciple properly, we will have more people involved in ministry. If we disciple properly, we will have more people involved in service. We see this very simple model in verses 11 and 12. It's the call of, of the leaders of the mature followers of Christ to disciple other people and then those people have to be involved in some way in ministry and in service. Now here's the excuse or here's the reason so many people give for not serving somewhere. You say something like this. I just don't know what I could do. 
I'm just not really good at it. I'm just not really sure how I can be used, how I'm going to fit in. I'm not really sure how the Lord can use me. Well, Paul does this very interesting thing in Ephesians and in other parts of the Scripture. He uses the analogy of a human body. And the analogy he uses is very simple. He says that we all are different parts. Some are feet, some are hands, some are eyes. But we all have a role to play. And you should never think that the role you play isn't important or isn't useful. Now, I found a very interesting article this week. Some of you guys are going to love this. I thought it was pretty interesting myself. I was doing some research on this idea of the body and, and, and different parts of the body being used. You know, the idea of when you, when you stump your toe, everything hurts, it's hard to walk, it affects, your back starts trying to fix everything, right? I was just thinking along those lines, and I, I found this very interesting article about researchers. This is a university study. This is not some guy in their basement or their garage making this stuff up. These guys were interested in how your body gains strength. And they were interested in overall health, and so they started wondering how the mind factors into strength gain. Now, I know a lot of you guys work out. Their idea was your mind is as important or more important than what you physically do with weight. So I want to read a part of this study to you. Just listen. This is, this is very amazing. This study, again, this is real. I just want to say that before I read this, okay? This study tested whether mental training alone, you follow that? Mental training alone can produce a gain in muscular strength. That's what they wanted to know. So 30 male university students, football players, basketball players, rugby players, were randomly placed into one of three groups to do this study. Group number one performed mental training of their hip flexor muscle. Just, they just thought about working out. That's all they did. Mental training. Group number, now it's, in, it's intense mental training, guys. Not watching TV, drinking a Coke, thinking about maybe going to the gym later today. That's not what they did, okay? <laughs> They had some very specific things they thought about. Group number two used weight machines to physically exercise their hip flexors. And group three was the control group. They received neither mental or physical training, right? Now, the hip strength was measured before and after training. Here are the results. Ready? The strength was increased by 28% for those doing physical training, right? So if you did physical training, your strength was increased 28%. We would expect that. Just up under that, the people that did mental practice only, their strength increased 24%. You're supposed to go, wow, that's the gas moment, right? 24% increase in strength simply by thinking about working out. Yeah, thank you. One person said it. Wow. Now you say, oh, it's just a look. I mean, they, they must have, they're athletes anyway. They probably were getting stronger normally in their normal. Well, the, the control group, right, group number three, there was no change in their physical strength. That's amazing. What these researchers are saying, again, it's just an early study, and who knows when, somebody may debunk it tomorrow. But the idea is, if you think hard enough about it and you mentally exercise your brain, it can affect your body. You understand that? You can physically get stronger. It's kind of the old saying, mind over matter. This is a study that kind of proves that. Now I want you to think along those lines as far as the body of Christ, just for a second. You're some part of the body. I don't know what part that is necessarily. The Lord does. But what you do and how you live affects the rest of the body. You need to understand that. For you to say you have no part in the body of Christ is direct contradiction to the truth of the Word of God. You do have a part. 
the, the question is figure out exactly what you're supposed to do. How are you supposed to serve? How are you supposed to minister? How are you supposed to be involved in missions? We, we started talking at the beginning of last year, the beginning of 2014, about living missional lives. And we defined missional living as, as, as the idea of living like a missionary every moment of every day. It's the idea of waking up by figuring out what can I do to live for Christ today? How can I love somebody in the name of Jesus today? How can I be example today? How can I share my faith today? How can I come alongside this person and disciple this person today? It's the idea of a missionary mindset. It's not a new program. We said that. It's not a new activity. It's not a single event. It's very simply a lifestyle. It's a way of living. Now we've seen a, a, a lot of gain in 2014 as far as mission living and mission work is concerned. I'm just so excited about all the Lord's doing here. I started kind of recapping as I was thinking through this sermon all that we've accomplished in the last year, all the work we've done all over the world. You know, we've been to five different continents in 2014 doing mission work. Did you know that? Members of Rosemont Baptist Church have been on five different continents sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's phenomenal in one year. We did work in Alaska. took a huge group to Alaska. We'll take another big group back. We did work in Atlanta and are trying to build that partnership now. We had over 300 people involved in Mission LaGrange. And because of those things, we begin to see all this missional activity taking place now. All these small little groups are forming that are doing mission work locally that you probably don't know anything about. In fact, we've created a spot on our website. If you go under, to our website, you go under Missions, which is one of the main tabs. Right under missions, there's another tab that says local missions. It's got a list of all the things we're doing. I think there's seven or eight local missions that are ongoing that you can volunteer and be a part of. Praise the Lord for all that we've accomplished, for all the Lord has done. But I want to make a statement to you based on everything we've accomplished up to this point. It's not enough. I want to make a promise to you, as long as I'm the pastor of this church, I will never stand before you and say we've done enough mission work. It's time to stop. Because there are people in this world right now that don't yet know Jesus Christ. There are people that live within a few miles of this church that don't yet know Jesus Christ. There are people that live in a jungle somewhere on the other side of the world that don't yet know Jesus Christ. And so we've always got to keep pushing. We've always got to keep praying. We've always got to keep thinking ahead. How can we reach more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ? And how can we disciple those people once we reach them? And so I want to kind of cast a vision moving forward for 2015. The next step for Rosemont Baptist Church and our mission process is to begin thinking and praying about adopting an unreached people group somewhere in the world. Now let me help you understand this a little bit better. All the places we've been up to this point, all the mission what we've done, we've gone into a location where there is a Christian presence. There's a missionary or there's a church or there are at least some believers. Not a lot in some cases. But there's at least some missionary presence. An unreached, unengaged people group is a group of people, some in the world, it could be hundreds of thousands, it could be millions of people, where there are no known believers, there are no known Christian churches, and there are no missionaries doing work there. There are approximately 6,500 unreached people groups somewhere in the world. That means there's somebody in the world, large numbers of people, actually hundreds of millions of people, some in the world, that nobody that speaks their language, nobody that knows their customs, nobody that knows their culture is a follower of Christ. Nobody. Zero. None. Well, we've done so many things. 
We've accomplished so much, but I just believe as I pray through this and I try to lead our church, the next step for us is to identify some group somewhere in the world and begin to pray for that group, begin to send teams to that group, begin to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with that group in the hopes that Christ and through the revival of the Lord will do great things within that group. You say, man, that's a big task. I mean, you're talking about going somewhere. Just, just think for one minute with me on this. We're going to go somewhere in the world where there's no missionary, there's no church, there's no believers. How do you even start? It's not like we can go to the church and talk to the pastor. It's not like we can go to the missionary and ask him where to start. It's literally just kind of going to this place, not knowing what we're getting ourselves into, and begin to try to plant seeds of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not easy work. It's not simple work. That's why there's still hundreds of millions of people that don't, don't yet know because so many churches can't go. So many churches don't want to go. That's not going to be Rosemont. We're going to go. And so I'm going to give you some goals as we kind of think through this. I want you to write these down. Goals for 2015. As an individual, I want you to become more involved in areas of service. That can mean a lot of things for a lot of different people. Maybe you're already a teacher. You need to do more. Maybe you're not a teacher and you need to become a teacher. The Lord's kind of gripped your heart. Maybe you're not in the Sunday school class at all. I want you to become involved or more involved in some area of service. I want you, as far as mission work is concerned, here's your second goal. I want you to either go or send this year. You ought to be either going somewhere or sending somebody to go this year. That may be to the other side of the world. That may be Mission LaGrange right across the street. But you need to be going. And if you can't go for whatever reason, you ought to be sending. There's not a third option. If you study Acts 13 and Paul and when he went off, there's no third option. They went. They, they were the people that would go. The church would send. You have to be one of those two groups. This year, you need to either go or you need to send. And then as a church, here's our goal for 2015. By the end of the year, we are going to have adopted an unreached people group somewhere in the world, and we will have begun the process of praying and looking ahead to sending teams to reach those people for Christ. By the end of this year, we're going to have a people group somewhere in the world that we're going to claim. Now, here's the interesting thing. They're not even going to know we exist. You understand that, right? It's not like we're going to be Facebook friends and start writing them letters and Skype with them. They don't know we exist, but what's going to happen is we're going to select a group based on the Lord's guidance, and we're going to say, we've adopted this group. We're going to now sell out to share the gospel with these people. You say, how are we going to make a determination based on hundreds of millions of people, which people group to go to? That's what the 30-day of prayer is going to be about starting next Sunday morning. We're going to have a guide for you. I'm going to talk you through the process next Sunday morning, but I'm going to ask every person at Rosemont for 30 days to pray specifically about an unreached people group. We're going to allow the Lord to lead us and speak to us about who we should adopt. Now, we need to continue on. So we see growth in discipleship. That growth in discipleship leads to growth in service. It leads to growth in ministry. Now, verses 15 and 16. Paul says, instead, here's the contrast here. Instead of being tossed and turned like little infants, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow, there's that idea, and all things grow up in Him who is the head, that is Christ. Now verse 16, from Him, the whole body, there's that idea of the body, joined together and held together by every supporting ligament, that's you, right? You understand that you've got a part in this, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Here's... Vision number three. 
In 2015, we must grow physically. Now, let me just dispel two things initially when you see this. Some of you are thinking, I already grew physically over the break. I'm about to do something about that. I've had enough growing for 2015. I'm not talking about you personally. The other thing people probably think is, well, we're going to start doing a lot of high attendance Sundays. and get more. It's got nothing to do with trying to get more people here. We've already got a lot of people here. Praise God, we've got a lot of people that visit every Sunday morning. We've got a lot of people that have joined. We see a lot of growth in a lot of different areas. I'm not talking about that sort of physical growth. I'm talking about the idea of physical growth as far as the facilities of our church is concerned. Now, I want you to understand a couple things before I explain what I mean here. We've seen a lot of growth in the last couple of years. Praise the Lord for that. But with a lot of growth comes growing pains, right? The more people we have, the more space we need. The more space we need, the more facilities we need to build. The more facilities we need to build, the more money it's going to cost. But I just want to remind you something before we kind of get into this discussion. Praise God we're able to have this discussion, right? There are churches all over this country that are having discussions about closing down. There are churches all over this country that are having discussions about how in the world can we get just one person in here new. There are churches all over this country that are discussing how can we have one baptism this year. Praise the Lord. He's done some incredible things in this church. But we have to be good stewards. We have to be proactive. I'm going to give you just a couple of quick examples. Wednesday night, if you've never been here on a Wednesday night, you ought to come one Wednesday night and you should walk through our children's department. Philip, I see Philip in the back right there. Just give me one word answer. Philip, do we have enough space for all of our kids on Wednesday night? Yes or no? Randy, Randy Bannister was our, he's our Awana commander. He was in the 830 service. I asked that question. He's just shaking his head like this. No. We're, we're crammed. We're packed out in there. Praise the Lord. And Philip's already trying to push me to use this on Wednesday night. This is where he wants to come. He needs this much space for all these kids. Praise the Lord for that. That, that, that becomes an issue we have to deal with, right? Sunday morning worship. Now you're looking around and you're saying, well, there's, there's a few empty seats in here. We could, we could squeeze a few more. Yeah, you, we could. You know why we could? Because we have three services. You understand that, right? If we were to take all the people that worship on, on a Sunday morning at Rosemount, we would need a building twice this size and it would be filled up. You understand that, right, numerically? If we built this building in the parking lot and tore this wall out and connected them and had one big worship service, it would be full on a Sunday morning with people at Rosemont. It would give us no space to grow. I praise the Lord for that, right? But we need to be thinking through issues. How are we going to address this? Parking is a problem. If you get here late on a Sunday morning when we're full, you're going to have to park way, way away from the middle. We need additional parking. All these things are great problems to have, but they're things we need to think through this next year. I want to give you an interesting stat. I was kind of looking back over the history of our church and thinking back about all the Lord has done, and I I just kind of came across this fact that I would not really thought about in a while. We haven't added additional space to our main building since the 1990s. Did you know that? It's been almost 20 years. The fellowship hall, somebody correct me if I'm wrong, but in the main building, that's the last thing we've added. Is that right? 1995 or so? We're coming up on 20 years, and we've been able to continue to grow because the leadership of the church for the last decade or so has made some very wise choices. But we have three worship services now, 8.30, 9.30, and then again 11. We have two Sunday schools. Praise the Lord, we can do it, but we are running out of space. We need a solution. You understand that? 
2015 has to be the year that we consider growing physically. You say, oh, I know this is going right. We're going to talk about money and capital campaigns. Well, praise the Lord, we get to think about that kind of stuff. Praise the Lord, we're not trying to figure out how to get enough money scraped up to pay the light bill next month like so many other places are doing. Right? I mean, we, we've been blessed, folks, but we got, we got to do some things about it. And so beginning last year, we were kind of proactive. We kind of saw this coming. I started talking to our staff and our deacons about what this ought to look like. And so beginning last year, we formed a building team. Now, this building team didn't have any official authority. They were simply an advisory board. We asked them to get together. It was formed of deacon leadership, our staff, and some other leaders within the church. And we just began to sit down and pray and think and study and look ahead to what might happen. We had a very specific team purpose. I want to read it to you. The purpose of the building team was to recommend to the church a clear and attainable strategy for addressing our growing space needs at Rosemont so the church can continue to do the work of the Lord both now and years into the future. So we asked this team, what are our options? What can we do to address these space needs? After many months of prayer and discussion and thought and research, we decided we wanted to bring somebody in that will help us make this decision. So we hired an architectural firm. Now, this firm is basically helping us look 15 to 20 years out. They look at our growth. They look at our facilities. They look at our space management, all the things that we've been doing. And they help us figure out how can we continue to do ministry for the next 15 or 20 years. Does that mean building additional buildings, going to multiple services? What does that look like? And so we've brought this team in. They've met with us now a couple different times. By the probably middle part of 2015, they will present to us a master plan. Now, this is in discussion with these teams. They've been meeting with us, praying with us, discussion, talking. They'll come back to us and they'll say, here's what we think you need to do in phases or all at once. Here's the plan to move forward for the next many years so you can continue to reach the people you want to reach. Now, building is expensive. I get that. But what's our, what's our choice, right? What's our alternative? We can either cap out where we are now and never reach anybody new for Jesus Christ, or we can say, you know what, we know it's going to be hard and expensive and it's going to be a long process, but we need to do it. Because in generations to come, you need to remember this, they're going to look back at this group and how you decided and it will affect the way they worship for the next many years. This building was built in the late 70s. You know that, right? There was a group of people in the late 70s that made the difficult decision of raising money and building a new building. And 30, what, 40 years later, we're still benefiting from it, Right? 2015 for this church will be the year that we make some very important decisions for the future of what this looks like with our space and our facilities and our buildings. I will just ease your mind just for a second. We're not going to make any major decisions without the church involvement. This building team will come to the church and present a plan. The church may decide to do nothing with it. That's your call. You're ultimately going to have to decide to do that. But we need to be praying about this. We need to be thinking about this. And, and above all, let me just say this, we need to be praising the Lord that He's blessing this church. We need to be praising His name that He's sending us families and children and people's lives are being changed. So I'm going to give you some goals for 2015 as far as physical space is concerned and then I'm going to be done this morning. Here's goals individual. Number one, you need to be praying. That becomes a recurring theme, doesn't it? <laughs> you need to be praying for wisdom and discernment and guidance that the Lord would lead us where we need to go. We need to bathe this entire process in prayer. Lord, what do you want us to do? 
How do you want us to move forward? And in, as a church, our goal for 2015, by the middle of the year, we're going to have a master plan that will look 15 to 20 years out for us. It'll help us better understand if we need to build buildings, if we need to expand this building, if we need to build parking lots, where those should go, how that should work. By the middle of the year, we'll have that master plan to present to the church. And by the end of 2015, we need to make a decision as a church as to how we're going to move forward. We need to decide this year what we're going to do. We're going to build, we're going to maintain, we're going to shrink. What are we going to do? But we've got to make that decision. Now, I will finish by saying what I said at the very beginning of this service. We talk about all the Lord has done. And we talk about all the Lord wants to accomplish. And we talk about all the Lord has done for this church and what He's going to do in this next year and the years to come. But I just want to remind you, you are the church. You. I'm talking to you. (laughs) And the Lord's not going to do anything if you're not involved in it. You understand that? He's going to use you. He's going to change you. You need to be in prayer. You need to step up and figure out how the Lord's leading you to do all the things He wants to accomplish in the church because if we were all on the same page, if we all pray together, if we'll all seek the Lord, then I believe with all my heart that 2015 will be the best year we've ever seen and we'll make decisions that will affect our grandchildren for generations to come because of our wisdom if we'll let the Lord use us. Let's pray. Father, thank You for... The text, the scripture, Lord, thank you for reminding us of of our call and our responsibility. And Lord, I I pray for kind of this big vision of this year as we grow, as we continue to grow, Lord, in discipleship, as we continue to grow in ministry and in, in missions and in service, as we continue to grow physically, Father, I pray you just give us wisdom. I pray you give us discernment. Help us to do things that honor you, Father. Use us in mighty and powerful ways. We'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to give you the chance for the next couple of minutes. If you want to come and pray at the altar, maybe you want to repent of your sins and accept Christ, or maybe you want to join this church, but this is your time now to respond as we sing. You come. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.